0: Just wanna say I am so amazed at what people accomplish. People like Ann Makazinski. Anne learned about some trouble a friend of hers was having. This friend of hers lived in the Philippines and the trouble this friend was having was that she was struggling to keep up with her schoolwork to get her assignments done. And the reason she was struggling with that was because At nighttime, where Anne's friend lived, the electricity would often go out. She told Anne about this issue and how it made it hard for her to stay current in her classes, and this bothered Anne. Anne was a creative thinker who liked to solve problems, so she began to think of a way in which she could help provide a solution for her friend's problem. And amazingly, over time, with a lot of hard work, some creative thinking, Anne invented what has now become known as the hollow flashlight. You can look it up on the internet. Not now, of course, But some other time, although I'm sure some of you have already started to Google it. But she invented something called the hollow flashlight. It's quite a remarkable invention. And it is hollow because where the batteries usually go, there is this space there. I'm not gonna explain the science super well because it's over my head. But there is no need for batteries because the way Anne designed it to work is that that hollow core allows cool air to circulate through the device, which then connects and reacts somehow with the warmth of the human hand that holds it, which creates this reaction and provides energy to make the light come on. After inventing it with materials that only cost her $26, Anne decided to give this technology of this flashlight away to developing countries. I'm amazed at what people accomplish, people like Anne or people like Alex Deans. One day, Alex saw an elderly person trying to cross the street and noticed they were having some trouble, so he went over and tried to assist this gentleman in crossing the street. And notice that this person wasn't just having uh, a hard time crossing the street because they were a little older and moving slowly, but that this guy was blind. And Alex began to think about how hard it was for this gentleman to cross the street with his disability, even though he had all the resources of the different kind of textured sidewalks and... um, All right, we good? Even though it had all the different kind of uh, textured sidewalks and and the sounds that the crosswalk makes, you know, to let you know uh, when it is safe to go. And so he began to think about how he could help somebody like this gentleman that he helped cross the street in a better way. So after some time, some uh, creative thinking, he invented what has been called the eye aid. It includes GPS and a compass of other types of technology which helps advise a person who is blind of the obstacles ahead of them. What direction they need to turn, when they need to turn, and which direction they need to go. In fact, Alex's invention had such an impact, it caught the attention of Chevrolet Motors, who asked him, who asked him to help them develop some of their technology in their out, upcoming vehicles. It's amazing what people can accomplish. People like Ann, people like Alice, and people like Mary Grace Harper. Mary became aware of the plight of young women in developing countries, specifically their limited access to public education. And when they did have access to some kind of education, it was often private education that they couldn't afford. Began to bother Mary so much so that she decided she wanted to do something about it. She asked her family that year to give a very specific gift for her birthday. She asked for a sewing machine. After receiving her gift, she went to work and started to make these really hip, cool, reversible headbands. Then she took those headbands out and around town and sold them. She sold so many, in fact, that by the end of the year, she could afford to finance the education of one girl in a developing country. But she wasn't done yet. She kept working to sew more headbands, more uh, other kinds of items, and after a few years of hard work, she has sold enough headbands and other stuff to sponsor 66 young girls in Kenya, Uganda, Paraguay, and Haiti. The organization that she eventually founded was called Reverse the Course, which now supports countless women for education around the world. I am amazed at what people accomplish and you probably know where this is going because of the sermon title today, right? I left out a a key detail in each one of those stories, some key numbers, 15, 13, and 13. Those are the ages of Anne and Alex and Mary, the age they were when they invented those things, did those amazing accomplishments. I am amazed, I should change my statement, I am amazed at what youth accomplish. I get the same feeling when I read the scriptures, don't you? Like when we read about the story of Moses and his older sister, Miriam, maybe 12, 13 years old at the most, watched over him as he was there in the Nile, and then had the courage to talk to Egyptian royalty to make sure that he was well taken care of. I get that feeling when I read about Joseph who was sold into slavery when he was just 17 years old but remained faithful to God. Or about Daniel and his friends who, as young boys are taken into exile, refused to defile themselves with the food that the king offered but instead stayed faithful to God with the kind of food they ate. Or that young servant girl who had the courage to tell the Syrian army commander him, to go find a prophet of God for healing or King Josiah, or Mary the mother of Joseph. The list could go on and on. In fact, we just finished a series on the book of Jeremiah, who had one of the hardest callings ever in Scripture. And he answered that call as a teenager. Over and over, Scripture is full of God accomplishing amazing things through those in their youth which tells me that just like any other age group in the church, God has placed a special call on the life of youth to do great things for him. Didn't you get that impression when you heard those answers on that video? Sometimes as parents, grandparents, family friends, aunts and uncles as pastors, I kind of alluded to this last week, but same kind of thing that we might do maybe in a different setting where we may say things or especially when we go to eighth grade graduations or or senior graduations and we write on the card of those graduates, God has an incredible plan for your life. He is calling you to do great things for him in the future, which of course is true, But make no mistake about it. You who are here today, who are in your teenage years, God is not just planning or calling you to do great things someday. He is calling you to do great things now. He is using you to do great things for Him now. And I think we need to do a better job as the body of Christ in recognizing that in facilitating that, in encouraging that. Sure, there's gonna be more education, more experience, more perspective that you who are in your teenage years will gain in time down the road, and it's gonna be so valuable and instrumental in equipping you to do great things in your life and in your work and for the kingdom of God. But please understand that we want to recognize that there is valuable education, experience, and perspective that you now have that God wants to put to good use now, that our church needs now. So how can we as a church family help facilitate that better? How can we be a support rather than a hindrance when it comes to God wanting to accomplish amazing things through youth? Maybe one more example from Scripture can help us move towards that goal. It's a story I know that Most of you know well, Israel was being taunted by one of the fiercest warriors imaginable. Intimidating does not even begin to describe the likes of Goliath. The Hebrew scripture describes him as being over nine feet tall. He was wearing 125 pounds of armor. His bulging arm was holding the spear, and the head of the spear was 20 pounds by itself. This is a guy who would have made the rock, Dwayne Johnson, look scrawny. And for 40 days, Goliath marches out and barks, insult after insult to the Israelite army and their God. And everyone is scared out of their minds. Even King Saul has not answered the call to go and face this enemy. Which is interesting because you remember how Saul was selected as king? Remember when the prophet went to go pick him out of the crowd? How did he notice him? He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Or right? he'd be like Ben or, or uh, Rob here. You know, if we were all to line up, you know, we would pick them out pretty easily because of their height. Saul was Israel's giant. And he's not answering the call to go fight Goliath. Not even he, nobody else is willing to go face This fierce enemy, except for David, a small shepherd boy in his youth. Most scholars believe him to be a teenager at this time. He comes to the battlefield to check on his older brothers, to bring them some food from home, and to report back to his dad how they're doing. This is his dad's request to send him there. And this is where we pick up the story, if you have your Bibles, in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, starting In verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here just to watch the battle. Now, what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him just as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. We'll pause there. Boy, you can really see the sibling love, right, (laughs) in this chapter. Older brother says to younger brother, what are you doing here? Who's watching the sheep? David fires back, what have I done? Can I speak? But I find it very interesting that Eliab says I know why you have come. He says, you've come just to watch the battle because you're conceited. Your heart is wicked. But we know the story. We know that nothing could be further from the truth as to why David is there. Family, I'd like to submit one way that we could do better at facilitating the great things that God wants to do through our youth or really through every generation for that matter. And that is to stop judging intentions of others. Boy, the Bible is very clear that we are not to judge people. And I think sometimes we don't take that command far enough. You know, maybe we don't judge what people did, but even worse is what we we judge why we think they did it. Some of the most harmful and hurtful forms of gossip that we do come in the form of judging people's intentions because when you do that, you aren't just condemning what someone did, you are condemning who they are. It's tempting, I know, I have done it, I have fall prey to this temptation. It is tempting to judge the intentions of people, especially those in different generation than ours, especially when it comes maybe to the younger, generations among us. Because they're gonna do things differently than we do. They're gonna want to talk differently, act differently, prioritize things differently. They live in a different time than we lived at that age. They're gonna wanna worship God differently. They're gonna wanna do mission for him differently. And rather than just jump to conclusions and judge their intentions, maybe we should be careful to do instead what I think is modeled in the next section of the story. We pick up in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, be, sorry, I lost my place, be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch in the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine. At first, Saul says, there's no way you're going to go face this guy. You're too young. But then David shares the experiences God has already given him in his youth, which has prepared him to be exactly the one that should go face Goliath. Then Saul tries to give David his armor and weaponry, but David says, this won't work. I'm not used to this. So he takes it off and he goes out. He's allowed to go out in his own armor with his own weaponry. Now, maybe Saul doesn't deserve as much credit as I'm going to give him here. Maybe some of Saul's actions are motivated by fear or cowardice. Remember, he is Israel's giant. He's the one that's supposed to be taking the lead in going out there. But I think it's worth noting, I don't want to judge Saul's intentions. I should just throw that in there too, <laughs> try not to do that because I don't know. But we at least should note that Saul does do something on the surface very courageous in this moment. In fact, he does it more than once. He listens to David. Maybe the best way we stop judging intentions is to listen better. Saul starts off by telling David, you're too young, you can't go do this. David's like, let me tell you what God has done in my life. He will do to this Philistine what he's done with this lion and with this bear. And Goliath says, okay, go. Then Saul tries to fit him with his armor and equip him with his own weaponry, but David says, this doesn't work, it doesn't fit, I'm not used to it. And amazingly, Saul lets David go out without it, lets him go out in his own armor with his own tools, his own weapons. I think we need to listen better to our youth. I think I need to listen better to our youth. And I'm sorry when I haven't. This isn't to say that there's no place for mentoring or that experience isn't important. This isn't to say that listening just means you're always going to do what somebody tells you that they need to do. Uh -uh, Please don't misunderstand me. But in order to be a good mentor, you have to be a good listener. And we often try to equip those that are gonna come behind us with the same kind of armor and tools that were used for our battles when we were their age. And there can be some wonderful principles, some wonderful wisdom that we can pass down, but we should also be aware through listening that times have changed, that circumstances are different, my goodness, My sixth-grade daughter does all her homework on Google Classroom. If you asked me to try to navigate that, I'd be like, I don't know. Sometimes she comes and tells me. How do I make sure this is turned in? I don't know. And then she figures it out in five seconds. It's a different world than even when I was her age, right? The circumstances, the ways of fighting are different for our youth today than they were when I was their age. So they need to be able to go out in their own armor. And to help them do that, we need to be good listeners. Doesn't mean we might not offer something valuable as they go out, but we've got to listen to know that they can do it in their own armor. One more section of the story. The climax here in verse 41, David is facing Goliath. And I think it has one more important takeaway for us to have this morning. Verse 41, meanwhile the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. Glowing with health and handsome, he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give, you, I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Wow. Once again, David gets criticized for his age, how young he is. And I just love how David doesn't even address the insults about his age, his looks, or his weapons. He just starts talking about the Lord Almighty and what he can do. And family, I I think this is another takeaway that I think would be good for us to leave with today. Let me see if I can say this in the right way. Our youth are more spiritual than I think we give them credit for our youth are more spiritual than we often give them credit for. As you read this whole story in chapter 17, notice that the first time anyone talks about God is David. The soldiers don't mention God, the brothers don't, Saul doesn't. David takes one step onto the stage, and the first thing he does is raise the subject of the living God. How can this Philistine say this about the armies of God No one else discussed God. David discusses no one else but God. What a spiritual life he had. What faith he had. And it had an immense impact. Changed everything. Our youth are more spiritual than we often give them credit for. And that spirituality they have has an immense impact for the kingdom of God in the here and now. Case in point is this story that Philip Yancey tells In one of his more recent books called What God is Good, or sorry, What Good is God. It takes place in Afghanistan, back in a time before Russian occupation or the Taliban regime was in power. Yancey writes At that time, the government allowed a small Christian church to service internationals who worked there, though no Afghans could attend. A friend of mine named Len from that church organized a musical team of young people from that church group to tour around and give concerts. They had to be careful, of course, with what they sang about or said, but Len wanted the youth to use their gifts to bless the people in Afghanistan. So they organized several concerts, the first one being in downtown Kabul. Len made the teenagers write out exactly what they would say in between songs, subject to his approval, of course. This is a strict Muslim government, he told them, If you say the wrong thing, you could end up in prison and at the same time jeopardize every Christian who lives in this country. Memorize these words and don't dare stray away from them when you perform. The teenagers listened wide-eyed as he described the ominous consequences of a slight misstep. The night of the official concert in Kabul came, almost a thousand Afghans filled the hall and spilled over into the outside of the open doors to listen. All went well, until one teenager on the team put down his guitar and started improvising. I'd like to tell you about my best friend, a man named Jesus, and the difference he has made in my life. From the side of the stage, Len motioned wildly for him to stop, drawing his fingers across his neck. But ignoring him, the teenager proceeded to give a detailed account of God's love and how it had transformed his life. I was practically beside myself, Lynn told me. I knew the consequences. I sat with my head in my hands, waiting for the sword to drop. But instead, the most amazing thing happened. The Minister of Cultural Affairs for Afghanistan stood and walked to the stage to respond. We have seen many American young people come through this country, he said. We have not seen nor heard from young people like you. God's love is a message my country needs. How thrilled I am to hear you. You are a prototype for the youth in Afghanistan to follow in the future. In fact, I would like to invite you to expand your tour so that you visit every college and faculty and also give this same message on Kabul Radio. I will make it happen. Len was dumbfounded. That night, he gathered the musical group together. Did you hear what the man said? We're changing, uh, we're, we're changing our tickets, of course, to lengthen our visit, and he wants you to give the exact same message. You better be sure not to change a word. Over the next few days, the musical team held together or held all these other performances. After each event, Afghan young people crowded around with questions. Tell me more about this Jesus. We know him through the Quran. You speak of a personal relationship with God. Can you describe it? How does your faith change you? Some asked to pray together. Nothing like it had ever happened in Afghanistan. I am amazed at what God accomplishes through those that are in their youth. And for those of you who are here today that are in your teenage years, please hear this. God has and wants to continue to accomplish amazing things in and through you. And your church family is here today to make a commitment to do better about facilitating and supporting that. And maybe the best way we can start, family, is by stop judging intentions, start listening better, and take notice of just how spiritual our youth are. Lord, that is our prayer that that you would build our church. Lord, we all are at different places in our lives and made up of so many different ages and um, ways of thinking and priorities, Lord. But we are united, Jesus, in you. And this church is built on you, Lord, and help us to come together as one. And especially help us to listen better, to stop judging, and to see the spiritual contribution our youth can bring now to our church. In Jesus' name, amen.